up? What's up? What's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are and however you're listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you for the ear. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's head. So what's in my head? You know, the, the date of this episode's release marks 19 years, 19 years since the tragedy of 9-11. 2,977 people lost their lives that day. That number does not include the terrorists. I feel no reason to acknowledge their earthly existence by including them in the number of total people. 25,000 people suffered injuries that day and around that terroristic attack. I think anybody who was alive then and of sound mind and really just, you know, had a, a glimpse into all the activity and and excitement and, and not positive excitement, but just the, the, the intensity, nervousness, uncertainty of that day remembers exactly, exactly where you were when that day started and how that day went for you. I know I do. From that day, Operation Enduring Freedom began October 7th, less than a month later. It wasn't until almost 10 years later, May 2nd, 2011, under the Obama administration. It wasn't until 10 years later that the mastermind, who I'm not even going to dignify by saying that person's name either, was finally found and properly and duly killed by U.S. Special Forces. You know, the thing about that day and that time, it's it's the last time I can remember, and I've thought hard about this. I've really sat and thought, you know, in my adult life, because as a kid, you don't really think about unity and, and, and people getting along and and racism and bigotry you don't think about those things as a kid unless it impacts you directly but you really don't think about those things you're thinking about toys you're playing with you're thinking about your first job your first kiss your first girl your first sex hey let's be honest you're not really thinking about how the country is going you're not really thinking about can i walk down my street with a hoodie on you're not really thinking about you know, does this person judge me by my skin, by my clothes, by my flamboyance, by my personality? You don't really think about those things as a kid. You kind of go on as, you know, as your life is going on. You, you try to get through high school and, you know, like I said, kissing first girl, meeting your first guy, first date, you know, all that type of stuff. Going to college. You know, back then you, you weren't really socially conscious like that until you got to, to college. But I sat real hard and really tried to think of a time prior to now, because let's be honest, right now, there, there's not a lot of unity in this country. But to me, it's the last time I can remember this country being and feeling, and I'm using quotes, feeling like all lives really mattered. Feeling like there was some sense of unity, because there was a common enemy, right? And they were over on the other side of the pond, as some people say. 
And so there was a bullseye. And we all were standing with our backs to the wall. And we were all standing with our, our bow and arrows and our guns and our knives and our hatred and our, our, our beady eyes. We were all standing there staring at that target. And so for a short period of time, I actually kind of felt like we cared about each other. For a few months, at least, it seemed like unity and empathy might be a normalcy. Positivity from negativity sometimes happens, right? Maybe on the anniversary of this tragedy, something positive can spark from this. So all those we lost and all those left behind to grieve, condolences and best wishes to you. You know, 2020 has taken a lot of lives. You know, as recently as Brother Lou Brock. And I say brother because he's a fraternity brother of mine. Baseball Hall of Famer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Passed on September 6th. Bruce Williamson. Same day. Lead singer of The Temptations from 2006 to 2015. He passed on the 6th as well directly related to coronavirus. And there's a recent CDC update to the website that seemed to have people's attention because, and I believe the number is 6%, 6% of all the deaths related to coronavirus were only related to coronavirus. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is people want to use that 6% as saying that the numbers are way off. It's not 100 at this point. It's about 189,000. It's not 189,000 people. It's only 6% of the people actually died from COVID. No, genius. 6% of the people only died from COVID. Meaning like newborns, frontliners with no pre-existing conditions. Granted, from the moment you're born, you're dying. You're going to die of something. I'm going to die of something. We're all going to die of something. And so in many ways, by the time COVID hit a lot of people, it was just a straw that broke the medical back in their body. But to pretend as if their lives wouldn't have been cut short if they never encountered COVID, it's just disingenuous and frankly insulting to many people's intelligence. I hope that people were smarter than that. I see a lot of people aren't. So let's let's look at it like this. If I were to punch you in the stomach and you had an underlying stomach cancer or liver disease or kidney disease or pancreatic cancer who knows and my punch was so severe that it inhibited the already you know administered medicine and treatment that you were going through you unfortunately wind up dying did you die from my punch or did you die from the cancer or your condition or was my punch a contributing factor in the swiftness of your death compared to if my punch didn't happen at all. See, I think personally, this is really, really easy to get, but I think people are so partisan and so one-sided offense or the other that logic and reason and intelligence and rational conversation just doesn't work anymore. If you have brain cancer and I shoot you in the brain, what killed you? The cancer or the gunshot? You might've had cancer, but I'm pretty sure the gunshot killed you. It's kind of the same with COVID. 
you may have some underlying pre-existing condition, but you got COVID. And COVID hindered your body's ability to fight for itself, hindered your body's ability to get oxygen to the blood and throughout your system, hindered your ability to stave off imminent death. This is not rocket science, people. This is not Democratic or Republican. It's pretty straightforward, intelligent thinking. But people, because they're, they're stuck in their ways and they want to back this person or back this party, or it's the great COVID hoax. <laughs> so I guess 189,000 people didn't get COVID and die afterwards. Okay. But 2020 has really, really taken some lives. I mean, you think about back on January 26th. Kobe Bryant, helicopter crash. That seems so, so long ago. So long ago now. And even August 28th, Chadwick Boseman, King T'Challa, Black Panther, colon cancer in men, especially black men, I hope everybody under the sound of my voice, if you're of age and that age has slid lower, it used to be 40, I think it's 35 now, get screened, get screened because you just never know. You want to catch this stuff early. Believe me, I've seen and been to too many funerals for people who lost battles of cancer. You want to catch this thing as early as you can, get treated as aggressively and thoroughly as you can. A cancer diagnosis isn't a death sentence, per se. It isn't guaranteed. You can do things. You can treat it. But you got to get tested. You got to get screened. You can't say, I got this pain, and eh, whatever. This happens all the time. My body will fight it. Listen, I'm the king of saying, my stomach's a steel trap. I can eat anything. And, you know, this body of mine, I, I work out. I can still run. I still play football with the best of them. I'm active. I'm physically fit. My stamina's good, ladies. No, listen. <laughs> I'm in great shape, I think. No, I'm in good shape. I'm not in great shape. But even I got a colonoscopy about, and I just butchered the word, even I got a colonoscopy, I think it's about 10 years ago. And I have no problem sharing the truth about it. I had some hemorrhoids. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I got blood in my stools. I freaked the hell out. Called my doctor. What the hell is this? She told me to go get a colonoscopy. Turns out they were hemorrhoids and turns out they wound up cutting a little polyp out. Make no mistake about it. My ass was asleep for it. They said, you want to do a local or you want to be put down or whatever the terminology is. I said, you ain't shoving nothing up my ass without my ass being knocked out. The hell with that. Exit only, baby. Exit only. But, you know, get screened. You know, 2020 is taking enough lives. We don't need to take it anymore unnecessarily. Get screened. You know, next thing in my head is, <laughs> is usually the fall is is just my happy time. It's it's the greatest time of the year. You know, the baseball's ending. We got you know October madness happening with baseball. September playoffs. October. We got the start of college football. 
We got the NFL right around the corner. NBA coming up. Even though I really don't watch the NBA until after the All Star break, because it's too many damn games. Same thing with hockey. I don't watch hockey until after the All Star games. It's too many games. Can't do it. Sorry. I keep track of my team. Basketball, the Miami Heat. In case you don't know, I keep track of my team. Pittsburgh Penguins and hockey. Yeah, they're winning. They're losing. First place, not. Who cares? I'll check you out in April, March, April. But this this fall is unique, obviously, because of COVID. You know, the NBA is in a bubble. It's the days and months have just passed, right? And this this coronavirus epidemic, and it's just just it continues to dig this permanent mark deeper into our factual history, our factual history, I should emphasize. And a lot of people are just itching for the normalcy we've missed so much. With the NBA band bubble, Major League Baseball in an alter state, golf, eh, it's weird not having applauses or baba buoys or getting a hole, you know, all that stuff. It's different. It's just different. And I play golf more than I watch now. Just, I'd rather feel it, you know? But football is back, baby. Football is back. College football, NFL football. By the way, if you don't like the kneeling, we don't like the killing. It's our right to kneel. It's not their right to kill. Let me say that again. You don't like the kneeling? We don't like the killing. It's their right and our right to kneel. It's not their right to kill. Get that through your head. But football is back. I've already planned some socially distanced tailgating and watching with friends, watching my tide, watching my birds. By the way, tide, Alabama, roll tide. Birds, fly, eagles, fly. You're going to get it every time. Every time. But even... The football leagues are still playing recreationally. I don't do semi-pro anymore. I don't play college. I'm way past college football. But the leagues I play in, they're starting to get the green light. It just feels like there's some normalcy trying to come back in this COVID. You know, football is love for me. I've I've tried to give it up. I I really have. It's like football is like the best form of crack. Like crack can't touch this. Can't. Can't touch this. There's only one thing I could think better than football. And this is a. Well, this is actually an explicit show, but I'm not going to talk about it. So I'm looking forward to the return of football, the return of fall sports. The return is that feeling. It'll be different. Look, no fans in the stands in most places in college football and NFL. Even the leagues are playing. We're going to be masked up. That'll be different. But fall sports and specifically football is back. Last thing in my head. You know, I, I took some time away. Um this last week to what I like to call detach and chill. All it simply means is, you know, I'm kind of off the grid. I might be doing a little social media. I'm definitely not working. I'm not doing any of my, my business stuff. I'm not doing none of that stuff. Even my fraternity stuff, I, you know, detach, detach, detach and chill. You know, I took a, a sunlit walk, had some cigars, grilled and chill with friends. I even golfed. I even read a non-technical book. You'll hear about that book in a little bit. And I got to catch up on some sleep. Let me tell you something. Melatonin gummies had my ass sleep for damn near nine hours. Gone. Done. But my body loved it. I caught up on some sleep. Now, I'm not going to tell you where I went because that's my chill spot. I, I can't have you showing up to my chill spot. It's my chill spot, not yours. It's mine. But it's important to get away. It's important to me. You know, I'm used to traveling every quarter. I take you know a weekend. I take a week, whatever, and I travel. I'm used to doing this every quarter. And I kind of got away from it the last couple of years. Wasn't doing so much every quarter. I was on maybe every six months or once a year even. 
But those are sacrifices I was making for the cause, whatever. Who cares? It's in the past. But especially in this COVID, I'm not necessarily having the ability to get away. So I started doing these detach and chill weekends or long weekends because you just have to. There's a quote that I found I like to reference. It is so important to take time for yourself and find clarity. The most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. I'm going to say that again. It is so important to take time for yourself and find clarity. The most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. Diane von Furstenberg, who is a Belgian fashion designer. Women may know her. She's best known for her wrap dress. Now, listen, I had to Google wrap dress because I'm like, what the hell is a wrap dress? Is that different than skirt, score? I don't need, listen, true story. I don't know the difference between a dress and a skirt. I still have problems. I still struggle with that whole concept. They both come down. What's the difference? One starts at the hip, one goes to the, I don't know, whatever. Dress and skirt, or one goes to the feet, one, eh, whatever. Who cares? It's tough for me to figure that out, but I'm, I'm past it. It's okay. The important part is find a way. You know, certain places are opening back up, distance, resorts, and, and wineries, and, and all types of things. Restaurants in certain places starting to do inside seating, although I'm not there yet. I'm only going to restaurants with outside seating, and the one time I went inside, I felt weird and showered like crazy and all that stuff afterwards. It was, yeah, no, can't do it. It's important to detach and chill for yourself. Get some time, take some time, and seriously detach. I tried my best to stay off social media. I tried my best to not look at work. Although I did return a work email. It was something important, so I returned. I took my work phone with me, but I looked at it one time. Detach and chill. It's important for your mental health. It's important for your physical health. It's important to release the stresses. It's important to do all that stuff. When we come back, we're going to talk to a friend of mine about job search and different things, especially in this COVID, that you can do if you find yourself in an unfortunate situation where you don't have a job tomorrow. You know, you can wake up today and have a job and tomorrow be laid off or tomorrow be completely let go. How can you best put yourself in position, not only when that happens, but before that happens? Before we take a break, I'm going to read you a quote about Chadwick Boseman, our king, our Black Panther, who transitioned on August 28th. It's a quote from Lupita. You might know her as a love interest in the Black Panther movie for Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther. She said, and I quote, Chadwick was a man who made the most of his time and somehow also managed to take his time. He loved, honored, and respected that body, doing more with it than most. In so doing, he took the risk to be alive, fully alive. So it seems that it was life that gave up on Chadwick long before Chadwick gave up on life. We'll be right back. Simple solutions for complex problems. For 15 years, the mantra has been the practice of SRE Solutions, providing business intelligence, application and website design, and PC repair services for clients. SRE Solutions has a simple solution for your problem, regardless of the complexity. Contact SRE Solutions at www.sresolutions.org and get your problem resolved today.
All right, welcome back. So, you know, just just kind of capping on the, the last segment. Um, you know, 2020 has, as I like to say a lot, 2020 has been a beast. You know, it's taken so many lives. And, and you know, it seems like every day there's another alert. There's another alert. So just, I love that saying from, from Lupita, um, where she talks about Chadwick Boseman. It's a, it's a great thing. But, you know, we're six months into this, this COVID-19 pandemic and some major corporations and not so major corporations are, are laying off employees and these temporary furloughs are turning into permanent job losses. As a, as a manager, I can speak firsthand about the stresses that people are facing, not knowing if today or this week, maybe their last as a full-time employee. I mean, just imagine coming to work and, you know, there's an all hands meeting or there's an email going out blasted or you got a random uh, meeting invite that's just not on your regular schedule. Now the, the stress of having to deal with that every day. And, and when I say coming in, I mean coming into your office because we're all working from home now. But, um, you know, I think personally, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, as a lot of these companies that took the, the stimulus money from the government did so with that, that proviso that they would retain employees through September 30th. And the date that this episode drop is is September 11th. So we're looking at two, three weeks out before they no longer have to retain employees anymore. Major airlines have already announced layoffs starting in October. So we're already kind of getting there. And when you look at the job market, I think it's going to just become super saturated soon as, you know, these layoffs begin to happen, these furloughs begin to take place. And that's going to go, I think, way into next year. And so I wanted to bring in somebody. Um, to talk a little bit about some of the things around that. He has a lot more experience in that. But So I'm going to bring in Curtis Jenkins and a little bit about him. Um, he's from Philadelphia, owner of Jenkins & Associates Companies, which focuses on real estate investments and management consulting, um, helping small businesses through advisory board services and strategic consulting. He has a Bachelor of Arts from Temple University and a Master's Degree in the Management of Technology from the University of Pennsylvania. He's author of the only job search book, you will ever need, which we're going to talk about in a second. For fun, he loves traveling, playing golf, and gathering with friends and, and family. Just a quick personal um, note, the, the way we actually met, and I've talked about on my show the things that have gone on in my life the last couple of years, but the way we met, I was sitting at a bar not far from my house one day, and it was one of those days I decided to get out the house and go grab a drink and just not be home. And, you know, Curtis is sitting there, we wound up started talking about baseball. I think he said he used to coach baseball, talking about golf, talking about sports and wound up exchanging numbers. And we winded up meeting up golfing. And I've said before, and I don't know if I said it on this, this show before, but I've said it before, golf really reveals a lot about you, right? You know, it's, it's one of those sports that's self-governed, self-refereed. Um, it tests your character a little bit, but you also get to have intimate conversations with people over golf between holes between shots that type of stuff and Curtis is, is one of the people I'm, I'm fortunate and happy to have met in the last couple of years because he has a story uh, not dissimilar from mine but you know different um, where you know he's been through a lot and he's going through a lot and now he's come out the other side as well so with that said Curtis welcome to Dave's head how's it going Hey, Dave. Uh, thank you very much uh, life is going well despite the circumstances and uh, I do appreciate uh, you having me on your show. Uh, yeah, it was uh, sort of uh, serendipitous in how we met, right? Uh, I remember sitting at the bar. I believe golf was on TV and another gentleman came in and talked about golf. And so we were talking about places. 
And uh, now we're here, and uh, you are one of my golf buddies. So I'm, I'm often complaining I don't get a chance to golf with my friends, and I've golfed more with you now than, than many people in, in the last couple of years. So, yeah, thing, things are going well. And uh, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you mentioned about my entrepreneurship. And as we talk more about job search, there's a reason behind being an entrepreneur and making sure that I stay uh, employed even when I'm unable to find a job through another place. So um, I'm excited to talk about what it is you want to talk about and share my story. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you're here. What I'd like to do uh, before we get into the Q&A is just, you know, I kind of gave you a little bio about you, but, you know, I'm sure there's there's more uh, to the depths of you. So I'd like to give my guests the opportunity to kind of introduce themselves and, and talk about what you're about and the things going on as well. So feel free to tell my audience uh, who you are and, and get into more details about yourself. Sure, sure. So you mentioned author, and I am an author of the only job search book you will ever need. Uh, and I'm also writing on my next book, which is due out before the end of the year. Uh, right now, it's titled The Art and Science of Vision to Reality. And basically, uh, if you look at both books and everything I talk about, I take a measured approach having a project management background in how I uh, see the future, be an inspirational leader, uh, and then drive towards that end. And so with that, uh, you heard me mention around being an entrepreneur, the management consulting is where I help small businesses do the exact same thing. Many times uh, you have business leaders or entrepreneurs and they want to grow their business, but they can't grow their business working in the business and on the business. So I help them, you know, clear the fog and put together good plans on, 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 on attacking, you know, growth strategies where they sort of get out the way, right? And to get out and, and focus on the things that are important. The real estate uh, came into play because I'm always looking at, well, what if I'm not working and what can sustain me? So uh, that's when I got into that a few years ago. Um, and then uh, I would say the other thing about me is around the keynote speaking. So everything that I'm learning and the things that I'm doing, I like to share with others. And that is uh, using the marketing mix to rise above competition. I think we'll talk more about that because that's really the same presentation I use when I'm talking about the only job search book you'll ever need. But also in my experience, I've done major mergers and acquisitions. Uh, so lessons learned and applied. I've done project management for companies. I've built project management offices for several companies, and I teach leaders on how to do the same. And then I ran a nonprofit in my volunteer life, and so I've learned uh, strategies for nonprofit growth, focusing on membership and money. And so with that, it's taking all of my project management experience and leveraging it in various ways, but at the core of who I am, it is you know, someone who likes to plan, who sees the future, plans it and takes measured steps to get there. And that's what's led to a lot of my own personal success that I like to share. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's very robust. I do like the, uh, the, the give back the nonprofit uh, stuff that you were doing as well. Um, we'll have to talk about the murders and acquisition thing one day. Uh, just, just a thought. Sure. 
So let's get into uh, Q and A. And the first thing I want to ask you about is is what I said we can talk about uh, surely, which is your book. So so talk about the motivation behind your book, uh, the only job search you ever need. The motivation really comes down to the fact that I've helped a lot of people find jobs over the years, and I wanted the the ability to stretch and share my story with with people I don't even know. And the only way that I knew how to do that is either through media, um, like like books or, you know, with classes. But really what started me with, with the book is, you know, I lost my job in 2002. And I remember how I felt. And it was not a good feeling. And when I woke up, you know, from the fetal position the next day, because, you know, it was it was still daunting, I realized I did not have a network or a group of people that were dying or clamoring to help me find my next job. I knew that uh, I had a family to take care of, and this was something new to me. And so um, I, I took my measured approach to finding my job quickly, and I found that a lot of people asked me about that approach. And so... I began to refine the approach and I began to, um, you know, as, as I was learning more and more about what I did, I didn't realize how powerful it was. And so the motivation was taking that experience and helping others to either overcome it or never be, never put, uh, put themselves or be in a position where if they got laid off, they would, they would worry. So I was motivated to, to help others, and I was also encouraged by families and family members and friends to to share my story because many people I've, I've helped. Okay, so you basically turn your your personal negative situation, if you will, into something positive for yourself, and then realize, hey, I can help other people do this. Exactly, exactly. So, speaking of you know laid off and and job security, what's the most important thing people don't think about when it comes to job security? I think people get complacent when they have a job and they don't realize that the, the job security is more internal than it is external. And so you, you have to put yourself in a position where you're looking for a job every day, even when you don't need one. And so here's a good example. You and I are having a conversation and you and I know each other. Um, what I'd like to be in a position of is the fact that you know what I do for a living. If I was in a situation where I lost my job, I want your immediate thoughts to go, hmm, let me introduce Curtis to this person or that person, or I know he's a project manager. Maybe I can help. And so then there's your audience, right? There's people that, that will hear me. And it's always my hope that I come across as a person that you would want on your team. So everything I do is deliberate. How I carry myself, how I behave on social media, how, you know, everything is about ensuring that I'm able to position myself for the next job. And you know, because it's not companies that give you jobs, it's people, it's other people who make those decisions. Mm. And I don't think people realize that it has to come from within first. And it, it's, it's something that doesn't go away. And then when I talked earlier about being an entrepreneur, 
Well, there's the other thing, right? So if someone's not going to hire me, then I need to position myself and my brand where they will hire me for my services or my products or whatever it is. But job security is something that you should think about every day and put systems in place. And I say systems because when you start behaving with certain habits, it doesn't feel like you're looking for a job, but you are every time you get a chance to present yourself. <laughs> I wonder if my social media would get me hired today. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, um, well, let's, let's not hope it gets you fired. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about that? Okay, so you actually kind of bled into my next question, which is, you know, should the search for a better opportunity ever stop, you know, or once you find somewhere you're happy at, should you stop seeking or entertaining opportunities if you believe you found your dream position? Well, so the answer is no, right? So your dream position, you, you can find that dream position and you can be there, but, you know, the world changes. Who knew COVID was coming, right? I know people who... Um, had what they considered their dream position, but their job was unable to to keep them because the business wasn't making money. So you should always be searching for the next opportunity. I'll, I'll give you my personal example. My personal example is uh, recently, even during COVID, I've actually achieved my dream position. My dream position was to run an enterprise project management office as a vice president, um, serving the business and working with the business leaders on strategy. So now I'm here <laughs> and I'm not satisfied. And so uh, what my focus is now, my primary focus is two things. The first one is I'm teaching others. So I'm constantly teaching and bringing up the people um, that report to me. So when you reach a position of authority or you know something well, I think you should focus on helping others get there. And when you do that, you're not, you're still looking for jobs because I did have a job and you, this is referenced in the book from someone, uh, when I lost my job, my first job came from someone who used to work for me. So they become my voices. Um, and then secondarily, I'm also writing and doing other things so that I can teach the world. So the, the, just like learning never stops, you should never stop and always position yourself where the market is coming to you. So I, I've, I've, um, I've been fortunate enough that I still get calls from recruiters who want to hire me and I entertain those calls because even if I don't take the job, I've developed even more of a network. And to be more specific about uh, an item that came up uh, about a year ago, I was looking for the VP position because I was still a director. I felt like I should have been promoted and hadn't been at the time. So uh, a job in Atlanta came up and I happened to be going to Atlanta to speak uh, about my book. I reached out to the recruiters, told them I was coming to Atlanta, and my goal was to have coffee with the CEO and a couple of other people. Well, I did not get a chance to have coffee with any of them. In fact, one of the recruiters got married that weekend. So I went and bought a card, took a screenshot of it, sent it, congratulated him last year, 
And fast forward to this year, I actually asked them about his anniversary. Well, they were blown away by that. Uh, in addition, I did get a chance to interview over the phone. They had already had the candidate, but they wanted to consider me as well. And the only thing that disqualified me was they said, quite frankly, was my was my salary because they said you were being paid like a VP, but your your title is director, and you should go ahead and get that VP position. Hmm. Um, the CEO created his own management consulting uh, firm. Oh, I'm sorry, career coaching firm, and you could sign on for 15 minutes for free. Well, after telling this person my story and what I was looking at, we we talked on the phone for two hours. Uh, he asked for an autographed copy of my book, and we've been connecting ever since. In fact, that same recruiter lost his job during COVID, and then I reached out to my network to help him find a job. So you don't stop. I didn't leave my company, but I developed my relationships so that when somebody thinks about who is that person for this position, they think of me. I mean, that makes sense, you know, just to always keep you know, marketing yourself, right? That's right. Because when you stop, <laughs> is when you're in trouble. Yeah. Or at least positively mar marketing yourself. You don't want to negatively market yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the world changes. And you just have to be prepared for all those changes in the world. So in your book, you talk about executing the four P's, right? And so what are the four P's and what's the best advice you can give on executing them? And then what are some of the things that people should keep in the back of their mind? I guess pitfalls, if you will. So the four P's of marketing is a term uh, originally developed by marketing scholars Neil, Neil Borden and then later refined by E. Jerome McCarthy. And basically, the four P's are designed to compartmentalize a product's unique selling points that differentiate it from its competitors. Now, this is the one thing that I have to help people understand. You are a product, right? And that's what you're selling. So the four P's are product, price, position, and promotion. First, the product refers to the goods and services you offer to your customers. Well, think about it. When somebody goes to hire you, you are somebody that's offering your skills and talents for money, right? And so there's price. Price refers to how much you charge for your product or service or in case of a um, – you know, a job, that's your salary and all the benefits that come with it. Uh, position refers to the distribution channels used to get to your product and your customers. And we talked about uh, earlier, I said positioning myself so that others can help me. And then there's promotion. Promotion refers to the advertising and selling part of the marketing. And remember I said how social media, right, can help you or you get other people that will promote you and, and say your name. So those are the four P's of marketing. And what, what I realized when I was um, putting myself out there is that I was using marketing techniques. I was just like a can, I, I like to say a can of soup in the supermarket, right? So at the higher levels, you know, supermarkets use science. When we come in, you know, we think we're just shopping, but there's a whole psychological background around where things are placed and why they're placed where they are. For example, candy is on the lower shelves. You put candy on the lower shelves because when people walk in with their kids, the kids can see it at eye level and they, they, they bug you to death for the candy. Well, the same thing, you know, you want to be what's called eye level, by level. 
And, and so in the world of soups, right, I'm just one person looking for a job, but I want to be at the Campbell's progressive level, progressive or the Campbell's level where people say that this is a premium product. I'm very satisfied with it and I'll pay the premium price for it versus being lower in the progresso area where it's like people will settle for me um, and I'm lower priced. Mm -hmm. And when I try to get people to think about how they brand themselves and what they, what their skills are, uh, their reputations and everything, you want people to see you as a premium product to give you the best price. And you want to put yourself in the best position with your network and sponsors and mentors so that they promote you all the time. Yeah. So I, I know they, they definitely use science against me because I swear the impulse section of the supermarkets gets me every time. <laughs> I used to do uh, manage a merchandising team way, way back in college. One of my summer jobs that actually led to a full-time job, my first full-time job out of college, um, non-technical full-time job anyway. But, um, yep. We used to stock the uh, the impulse section with all types of goodies, things I knew I would just, for no reason, $3 here, $4 here, just, you know, adds up when you add a couple million purchases in. So let me ask this. If you lost your job today, what's the first thing you should do tomorrow? I will let everybody know. I will activate my network. Um, so I will make direct phone calls, probably more than emails, but you know, I'll probably use email. I'll probably use LinkedIn. I will let everyone that I know, know that I'm looking for a job. The second thing is I'm already prepared with what my job looks like. So the current job that I have, when I got a phone call about coming uh, to this position, I had already written out the proposal on what it is that I would look to do, what it is I can do, what the organization looks like. And, um, how I would execute leveraging my project management skills, how would I, I would execute my first 90 to 100 days. And I do that because one of the things you have to be prepared to answer is what it is that you want. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, oh, I don't care. I just want a job. Hmm. Well, that works when you're a kid. But when you are moving up in your career and you have a specific thing that you are good at, you should be able to articulate what it is that you do, how you do it, how well you do it, the social proof on uh, the fact that you've done it, and what you can do for the organization. And so I've um, I've written these proposals to to you know I, I found this from a friend of mine. My best friend did this proposal for GE, uh, something similar years ago. And he wanted to run a division and he offered to run that division for $1. But if he ran a division successfully, then he negotiated a bigger package. Mm. Well, he soon became president of that division and is now, you know, CEO of a company. The point is that it's bold, but he was able to articulate his vision. You hear me talk uh, earlier about the next book called The Art and Science of Vision to Reality. I actually trademarked that. And um, I did that because I like looking ahead and then being able to articulate where I'm at and then how to get there. So that's what that's what I would do. I'd let everybody know and I'd be 
already prepared to say what it is that I want, because that's usually the second question. Oh, what are you looking for? Oh, I don't know. Anything that pays me <laughs> is what you usually get. Yeah. And see, that doesn't drive people to take action. Right. It's, it's being specific about what it is, because then they think of you. If it's anything that pays me or just anything, um, it, it doesn't work for mobilizing people to help you. And I've had situations where I've helped people get a job. And I had a gentleman who said anything and I got him anything. And he quit the job after two days. Mm. And I said, well, why'd you do that? You just messed up my reputation. And he says, well, it didn't pay what I expected. I said, you didn't give me an expectation. You said anything. Let's see. The other side of that, too, is, you know, you, you put yourself out there. You, you represent um, providing a quality candidate to someone that's in your circle, one of your connections. And it's, it's kind of a risk because it's, it's one thing to have good friends or family members or know good people. It's another to put yourself out there and to vouch for them and then hope that they come through and don't ruin that connection that you have. Yeah, that, that's always a risk. Honestly, it's a risk I'm willing to take. And the reason why um, is because the people that I reach out to, I've built up such goodwill that they will know it's not me. Right. Um, it's not that they won't give me any crap about it. But, you know, in this particular situation, I remember having a conversation and they say, Curtis, we know that that wasn't you. Um, but you know, it wasn't just the pay. The young man mentioned some, some other issues. And I, I had a conversation with him and his mom and I just said, Hey, you know, you have to be more of an adult about how you handle these situations, but I'm not afraid to take chances on people. Cause I, I have, and sometimes you never know. Um, and I'm confident enough in my relationships that, you know, one person won't uh won't ruin my my connections um but uh yeah so i'm still willing to take that chance but that that is a risk all right so so last question and it's it's kind of a bonus when i threw in there um I, so for the audience the, the questions i ask um the, the guests are kind of privy to them for the most part not the follow-up questions but the primary questions but every once in a while i kind of throw them for a loop with an extra one so i noticed in your bio um you have a quote your personal vision um, is change my world one person at a time through meaningful and impactful engagements, creating a positive experience at every encounter. Can you talk about what that means and specifically what that means to you? You know, we all, <laughs> when we're on this earth, we want to change the world and I'm no different. Right. And you heard me earlier talk about how I wanted to create more tentacles to be able to reach more people by writing a book, creating content above and beyond my ability to, to make contact. But I mean, the, I changed it from change the world to change my world. And the fact that uh, whenever I have an opportunity to engage a group or an individual, I want to share and I want to learn. And it, so two things, the biggest thing that happens is I feel like I grow from that and the positivity. And it's always my hope that whoever's on the other side talking to me or engaging with me is also growing. And so if you think about how, you know, the number of people that we can touch on any given day or the opportunities, you know, that's why I like speaking 
because I can reach so many people. And if I can bring a positive message and then that person can take those positive messages and expand on them as well, talk to one other person, uh, you know, back then, you know, back in the day, there was a commercial uh, about the shampoo and so on and so on and so on. And so all the people you can impact. And, and I think that that is a way to change the world. But I just I don't want to be so ambitious saying I'm changing the world, but I'm also changing my world. Mm-hmm. I'm growing from it. I'm learning it. I'm becoming more and more positive. And any time that I can engage with any individual or group. I just want it to all be uh, an opportunity for us all to grow. So that's where that came from. And that's why I said any experience, any moment, any engagement, any time, I want it to be a positive experience. That's, that's a great thing. I, I, I too love to, um, to speak. And with COVID, I really haven't had opportunities I normally do throughout the year uh, for speaking to youth and especially uh, collegiate and, and high school youth. So I'm, I'm hoping that at some point in the future, um, even if it's through Zoom and the organizations that I do that through haven't really adjusted to the Zoom uh, way of life. So hoping that they do soon. Cause I, I like to, to give back some of those thoughts um, to our youth. One of the things I like to say is uh, life is short, decisions are long. And I like to tell that to um, especially high school students. I mean, they're, they're still pretty impressionable and they, they still haven't made, hopefully, decisions that have swayed their life path one way or the other. And it's just to reinforce that, you know, the choices you make today impact you in ways you have no idea tomorrow absolutely definitely i definitely like um like giving back and speaking i, I have i have no shy bone in my body about speaking so i enjoy it so. <laughs> but that's um that's it for the q a so what i like to do now uh, is a segment i call first thoughts for those of you i like to say this every time but for those of you who have no idea what i'm talking about haven't tuned into an episode yet uh first shame on you but second the way first thoughts work is i ask my guests either a phrase or a question or give them a word and the idea is to get their first thoughts. Um, this is totally unknown to them. What I'm going to ask them, it always or typically <laughs> involves uh, what we're talking about along those lines. And it scares the hell out of every guest. I don't know why it just does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm already getting a certain <laughs> level of anxiety, but Hey, bring it on. <laughs> I don't know why it just does every time. All right. So the first one, you know, just kind of talking about jobs and the climate with COVID. So the first thought I'm going to ask you, what are your, what do you say or what are your thoughts if I say layoffs to you? Uh, well, layoffs, the first, uh, honestly, sadness, right? Um, this is somebody losing their job through no fault of their own, right? Um, but it's a business, uh, business decisions to either try to keep the business afloat or, you know, there's no choice because there's no money in them. It's a whole ecosystem that allows us to um, thrive and prosper in an economy. Um, and then, you know, as you said it, and I, I felt sadness, part of it is because, you know, the first thing I had to do after speaking with our leaders is I had to lay off all my contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was sad to me because, you know, they didn't see it coming, although the way that I have my organization set up. It's a flexi model. I have more contractors. I have, I have some permanent employees and contractors so that when the business needs more demand from the project office, I can leverage contractors who know that they're there for a short period of time uh, just for specific projects. 
And then I have employees who feel safe because we're not a situ- we're not in situations where there's uh, less demand. And then I have to lay off uh, people. But you know, any a layoff is about sadness. And I talked about when I got laid off, right? And I woke up in the fetal position. So that sadness is the first thing that comes out, comes to my mind. The layoff. Yeah, I actually have a, a similar experience, especially with the COVID, with you know, seeing basically contractors being the first the first cut, if you will, um, yep. casualty for all this. But yeah, yeah, it's it's not a great feeling as a manager, and it's definitely not a great feeling as a contractor themselves um, to to go through this. So the uh, the second one I have, so it's kind of it's talking about um, as as kind of a fail safe or backup, if you will, or preparation for what we just talked about layoffs or, or firings or any type of thing. But uh, one of the things in your bio is, is, is real estate investments. And so I want to get your first thought as it pertains to maybe having that as a backup source of income in case of job loss. So let me take it a little step further. One of the things that I've studied and I've learned and I said to myself is always be in a position to help yourself is to figure out multiple streams of income. That's what really successful people do. And how do you leverage your own talents? Um, and so that's where the book comes in and, and, and other things and, and the, you know, paid speaking engagements. But what, what, how real estate came about was in studying what you can invest in, real estate consistently provides returns greater than the stock market. And to be quite frankly, I don't even like landlording <laughs> it's i think you have to be um you know made a, you have to have a special situation going on or if you if you are able to get a management consulting company because i you know i'm not handy in terms of going to places and fixing it so i gotta always call somebody else but where i found my niche was in working with uh people that are in real estate, in communities. And let me just say this, Dave, Let me, because I think this is very important for the audience. Whenever I want to do something, I join a community. Whenever I write a goal, I join a community. Um, so I join uh, a couple of real estate groups and I'm able to network with so many different types of people in the business. People that are in construction management, people that uh, are underwriters, uh, people that do uh, lending, people that um, that are flippers, people that buy, rent, rehab, refinance. So the just the gamut of people, even people that had to have cleaning services that touch real estate. And what I found is that most of them are in position to do great things, but they don't have the capital to move as quick when they when they need to go to the banks. And so I started studying private mortgage lending. And I found that to be, I'm not dealing with um, sort of all the repairs that need to happen. You can get a good rate that's better than the market. And, you know, it's something that is more in line with me and what I can do. I know how to set up contracts. I know how to do those things. And I was fortunate enough to uh, acquire some capital and then even have others who said this is what they wanted to do. So that's the area that I, that I'm, I I would say I'm still in my infancy on, but that's what I'm driving towards. 
And so um, all of this, all of this leads to, you know, why am I doing these multiple streams of income? Because I want to replace my income that I have to work for with other income that allows me to do the things that I love to do. That's travel and speak and, 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 uh, and golf. There you go. <laughs> so, um, that, that's why real estate. Okay. No, that, that's completely, it makes complete sense. And, and, you know, it's, it's a way in direction I'm trying to move towards myself. I don't, I, I, I had visions of retiring in my fifties, so I don't, uh, I don't plan to be doing what I'm doing for the rest of my life, or at least until that retirement age. And who knows if Social Security is going to be there anyway. And, you know, I got my 401ks and investments, but who knows how that's going to go too. So, Oh, yeah. And, and all of that is the same reason, right? When, mm-hmm. Wanting to retire. But retire retirement for me means doing the things that I want to do <laughs> um, when when I want to do them. All right. So next one. So this is something I don't. And just as a hiring manager, I don't see this a lot anymore. What do you think when I say cover letters and thank you letters? Cover letters, I don't really worry about cover letters. I don't read them as as hiring managers. Thank you letters, I think, are excellent. In fact, um, my book will tell you that I don't do a conventional thank you letter. I write a proposal slash thank you letter that sums up the uh, discussions that we have and an opportunity to sell again. So it, it stands out for me. Whenever I get a thank you letter from somebody, I remember that. And what I teach people to do is try to make sure that you're dominating that space in somebody's head, right? You know, give them something that uh, they never thought they would see. And so my thank you letters are like three pages. And it consists of, you know, first of all, the thank, the thank you. Then it then it comes then it um, reads through what we discussed and I usually take three things that I've asked each interviewer you know about the company or about what's what makes the person successful in the company and then I let them know that I heard them and then I I use that as bullet points or opportunities to say or sell what I've done in the past and what I can do in the future to meet that criteria. And so, you know, I don't know who's read my thank you letters. Um, each one of them has been successful in that um, I've gotten a job, but uh, I remember the first reaction from the first time I did it, somebody said, hey, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, we, you know, we wanna bring you in immediately. And this was a thank you letter that I wrote right after I lost uh, my job in 2002 when I wrote the book. I learned this. I uh, went to a class that was held by uh, uh, Ladders.com, which it is now, but it used to be SixFigureIncome.com. Mm. And I learned that in a class, and I've been doing it ever since. You know, and that's why I talk about writing proposals, marketing myself you know, a whole business case on why you need to hire Curtis Jenkins. Well, I will tell you, if I got a uh, three page thank you letter from a candidate, they would definitely stand out. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and, and it's risky, right? Some people might think, uh, that's bold. I'm not reading three pages. Who has mm-hmm. time for that? But, you know, 
I, again, as a product and as my brand, I want to stand out. So that's why I do it. Yeah. And I actually, uh, many years ago, I ran into a, um, a guy I was working under and he was the hiring manager. I was, I was under him. And we, I just remember a conversation we had after a candidate had left an interview and he had, the candidate came with like a five or six page resume. And he said, oh, I don't, if it passed one page in the resume, I don't even consider them. And it just, this is one of those things, like, like you said earlier, people hire people, companies don't hire That's people. Right. And it's all about, you know, the hiring manager may appreciate that three page thank you letter that they may scoff at it. You, you have no idea, but it, it's the genuine you that is presented regardless. And that's the best that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. that psychology, right? So I would do a two page resume, even a one page resume, resume summary. I've, I've done those. But then I'd say, you know, if you want to see the business case for hiring me, here it is. Right. And that that's like three to five pages. So their minds in their minds, they're not reading a resume anymore because the res you know, most of us are trained resume needs to be short, quick and concise. But a business case, there's no business case that any company ever wrote that was really short. So now you, you've, you've trained them to think, OK, they're reading a business case and slash proposal. OK, now I'm more willing to read this. All right. So next first thought, salary negotiations. How do you feel about salary negotiations? I'm going to use the word tough to, to, to describe it, right? Because what's the saying is not... Uh, everybody's in a position in life of what they've negotiated. You ever had a situation where somebody's jealous of another and you say, well, how did that person get that? I, I always go, they negotiated. <laughs> they were yeah. better at negotiating. Sometimes they had the upper hand through a network, but basically they negotiated. So um, with that, when I talk about pricing, I say, do your homework, right? Um, the HR departments are going to look at things like salary.com and payscale.com and glassdoor.com. And that's going to give you an idea. And I say an idea because these are surveys. These are um, statistics from surveys that basically people had to opt into. So that means that everybody might not have given their salary information, but you need to know where you live. Um, and what it is that you, uh, you can get for that position in the market. The second part to that is, and this goes back to the branding is how about you as an individual? What's the individual value that you bring that you can negotiate sort of in the higher levels of the salary? Now you can do all those things and you can do all those things perfectly. The hiring manager has a budget. His goal is to be within or below budget, and your goal is to try to get as much as you can, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what, what I like to say to people when, we, when I'm working with uh, small business owners is when they talk about their employees, I say, your employee's job is to take as much money out of your company as they can. Mm -hmm. That's what their, their goal is. Your goal as the business leader is to keep as much money in the company as you can, right? And so there's conflict right there. If you know your value, right, and you have to study it, you, you can't just know it. You, and it can't be just based off of what you made last. I mean, there are companies that will use that against you. Um, but you have to know your value, know what you are in the market, 
And remember earlier when I said test yourself by going out there and having these conversations? That's when you, you'll find out where, where, what, you, what the going rates are. And there's other ways to negotiate salary, especially as a consultant, right? You can, you can um, request a bonus at the end if you hit certain milestones. And there's so many different things. I would say read the book, Never Split the Difference. Um, I, I like that book in terms of um, just, you know, negotiations, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Chris Voss. And, uh, but, but practice learning value, your value, what you can bring. Um, and if you want to try to sweeten the deal, get more, so to speak, there are so many other ways of compensation that you can look at, you know, like bonuses and sign on bonuses and, or, you know, you hit certain milestones for projects and, and things like that, you know stock options, et cetera. Yeah, and even, well, although we're in a COVID now, so everybody's working from home, but even negotiating being able to work from home a couple of times a week, that saves money as well and is actually paying yourself. Exactly. As well. That's a good point. Or when a company pays for your cell phone, right? If, yeah. if you're going to be, like one of the things I said is, if you're going to reach me after hours, then you need to pay for the phone that I use. And that's saving me money. My last company actually did that. I was 100% remote, so they, they paid for my cell phone. Yeah, there's so many ways. If you, it's not just about the the money that comes in your check every two weeks or once a month or however many times you get paid. It's it's also about the things, the perks that you can get as well. You know, exactly vacation or you know matching four hundred one k a percentage point or two points higher than the norm. Like that type. Of, there's so many different ways to get to get better income, if you will. That's right. And when you run into the roadblock, like the roadblock that typically happens with the hiring manager is straight up salary and bonus, right? But he can work with, um, there's no dollars coming out of his operating budget, his or her operating budget, when you're talking about additional vacations or things like that. Mm-hmm. So go for it. Definitely. So I, I don't like the, the end on a, a negative, but this, this is something that popped in my head and it actually, um, we kind of touched on it a little bit with um, just you know, putting yourself out there, but burning bridges. What are your first thoughts on burning bridges? Burning bridges happen, but you can overcome them. So let me tell you my story on how I burned a bridge and how I overcame it. Um, in what year was this? This okay. So the job before I got laid off. Um. I was, I was at the job for six weeks, the one I got laid off. But the one that was before that, the way that I got to that job was I had, I had recently finished a um, management uh, of technology program at University of Penn. So it was a combination of uh, the Wharton Business School and the School of Engineering. It's a program that they've had for some years. And, you know, in a book, it talks about how bold I was in negotiating getting there, but there was also the part about me leaving that company. And what happened was, okay, so I got my degree. I, I was looking for an expanded scope of responsibility. You know, I've been working with the senior leaders of the company, and I thought, hey, I was doing everything that I could to uh, 
to be recognized and, and move higher and get something for what I've just achieved. And, you know, I, I did not have a great relationship with my boss's boss. And I remember having a conversation with my boss when, uh, you know, someone said something, uh, my boss's boss said something about me that I didn't think was true. So I, I just asked a simple question. I said, would I be able to do anything that would change their minds? And the answer was no. So I'm stuck, right? And they even rechanged my position from project manager to some type of reporting manager. And I could have chosen to just allow that to happen or not. And I'm not the type of person that lets things happen to me. Things will happen, but I got to do something about it. And so I went to I went to leave and I said, look, I'm going to um, start looking for another job. And um, actually, I found this this other job. And, you know, but my contract said that because they paid for my executive education, that I needed to stay with them um, two years after the degree. And I only I had one year in. And I sat with the CEO and said, look, I was with the company for five years, so that should count. And I know I only did one. And I could have been in a situation where they charged me, I think it was like uh, the education was 40 grand a year. So I would have had to write them a check for $40,000. But I negotiated that I'm leaving. They will let me leave. They actually, the CEO said, look, you're responsible for your career. So, you know, you have to make this decision. We're not going to charge you, but you can't come back. Mm -hmm. And so I left. And um, then you heard me talk about uh, strategies for nonprofit growth. I, I worked with nonprofit organization and I actually ran it. So they were. So this is fast forward, like five years, maybe more. Um, they were sponsors of this organization and they, the senior leaders would come to the, to the, uh, events and the career fairs and they would see me. They would see me leading this organization. They would see me developing strategies to grow the organization. And they were like, wow, you know, how come Curtis doesn't work for us? So I sat with them and explained the reason is because I negotiated where, you know, we wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't come back. Well, they reversed that. They said, yeah, that was then. This is now. Um, we could use, you know, a talent like you. So then I became highly and heavily recruited by them to come back. The point is, is that, you know, you said you didn't want to end with a negative, but sometimes bridges get burned. It's what you do about it. And if you are sticking up for you and you burn a bridge, that's going to happen. Again, this is about humans, right? Dealing with each other. But there was the opportunity through the things that I've done to show the value that I have for them to go, you know what? Let's rethink that. <laughs> and many of the other players who were part of the, I guess, um, the negative story were no longer there. So that says something about, you know, their character as well, right? They were no longer there. And, and not for the choice of their own. So it's okay if you burn a bridge standing up for what you believe in and working, you know, in the best interest of yourself. 
And in my situation, I didn't hurt anybody. Um, in fact, the best thing that happened from that is I went to this new job, got laid off in six weeks because the company went belly up <laughs> because of the impact of uh, 9-11. Mm. But now I'm on the phone here talking to you about this whole story. <laughs> and I wrote a book about it. So life doesn't stop because of one situation. Yeah. And I applaud you for turning that <laughs> negative connotation into uh, <laughs> something positive. Um, yeah. You, you just never know, you know, who's watching and, and who observes and, it, you know, people, like you said, the people who were in that position weren't even there anymore to, to negatively influence the situation. So it's, it's, it's something that could be considered a burn bridge turned into basically building a new one. Yep. All right, Curtis. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining Dave's head. Um, I think some very insightful and some things I learned as well. What I'd like to do before we go, um, if you have anything going on, anything you want to promote, feel free to uh, let the audience know about that. Sure. So I mentioned that uh, my upcoming book will be coming out in the next couple of months, and that's uh, The Art and Science of Vision to Reality. So I'll be sharing with you, Dave, and others, um, uh, you know, when that's going to happen. My website, www.clj, that's Curtis Leon Jenkins, ASSOC.com. Um, right now, focus is more in the management consulting area, but that's, that's uh, going to be under construction soon and going to have more of the details about, um, about the book. And also, you heard me mention a proposal in that website you'll be able to find a free copy of the proposal. So um, I encourage everybody to take a look at it and see how you can leverage marketing yourself with, with those same tools and techniques. And again, I, I thank you for the opportunity, Dave, and um, look forward to not only talking again with you and your audience, but also getting out on the golf course again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And I will say, I don't read many non-technical books. It's just the nature of the industry I'm in. But I think the first book in at least a year that was non-technical that I read was yours over the weekend when I got away for a couple of days. So uh, definitely a great read. If you get a chance, check out the only job search book you will ever need. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, good people. You may have noticed some cool music playing for this show. Well, that music was provided by DJ Ms. Deluxe. Deluxe represents as one of the top female DJs in Philly. Since 92, she's been spinning in clubs, on the radio, and touring around the country. And now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event Philly. Check her out on Instagram at DJ Ms. Deluxe. That's D-J-M-Z-D-E-L-U-X-X. And for promotions at the main event Philly. All one word. That's DJ Ms. Deluxe. Doing it since the golden era of music. The 90s, as I like to call it. Thank you for your support and contribution to Dave's Head. Hey, headers. Yeah, I didn't coin the phrase, I know. During my podcast, you'll notice that between segments, you hear commercials. Kind of like this one. The commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast. Well, I like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers. If you like and support, well, technically you don't have to like it, I guess, but I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway, 
If you at least listen to my podcast, I like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. Now, before you say it, there's no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, shoot me an email with a summary and the key info and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what, get creative and do a 30 second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. And again, I want to thank uh, Curtis Jenkins for his timely and and really uh, highly informational and personal message um, about being prepared, marketing yourself, um, how to execute a job search, salary negotiations, which I think that was some key information. I know it's something that um, I've always gave hiring managers a hard time uh, when I worked in the uh, nine to five industry like I do now, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't ask, you can't get an answer. And I always feel like, and, and my favorite manager of all time, um, will tell you that I gave her a pretty, pretty tough, uh, tough go at it, negotiating my salary for a company a couple of years ago. She still talks about it today. Um, and it's not too moan horn. It's just, you know, you, you, you're only as valuable as you feel you are valuable to yourself. I'll say that again. You're only as valuable as you feel you're valuable to yourself. And to me, I never looked at salary negotiations as something where I'm competing against other people's salary. It's about what I need to be happy in my role, in my life, and in my pocketbook. Let's be honest. It, it that's You just got to make sure you don't sell yourself short and regret it later because there's nothing worse than and as a manager i'm speaking now there's nothing worse than knowing you have an employee that's unhappy and the unhappiness is not about their job or their role their responsibilities or how you critique them how you rate them they're unhappy because of their pay and really as a manager and as an employee speaking as well if you're unhappy with your pay that you come in you know, as you enter a company, you only have yourself to blame. You could have fought for more. You could have said no. But I urge you to, you know, I know we're in COVID and, and going for new jobs is not exactly cliche right now. But if you are looking for a new job and you are negotiating a salary, what, and I'll tell you my secret, as for, you know, and it's really about raises. So what I what I do with raises is actually ask for double what I want and settle for half. So it feels like a win for them, but I know it's a win for me. When it comes to salary negotiations, there's you're the research you're supposed to do. You know, you look at the different websites that um, were mentioned by Curtis, and you do your analysis. And if you're if the average salary is eighty thousand and the, the peak is one ten, and you're making about seventy five, well. difference going from company to company is kind of a lateral move. So you kind of want to put yourself in the 87 to 93 range. And if you're really, really good at what you do and you have a lot of experience, depending on the industry, certifications, that type of stuff, maybe even approach the the six figure area, but you got to look at all the different factors. 
um, as it pertains to your skill set level, the average salary for that skill set level, how you think you compare to that that skill set level. Can you sell yourself as being better than that skill set level? And do you have the ability to sell yourself as being justified in requesting that amount? Because again, like Curtis said, everybody has their budget. You have your budget. Companies have their budget. Your job is to get as much as you can. Their job is to give you as least as they can. So with that said, let's move on to this episode's grin. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, grin is an acronym I came up with that stands for great reason to be in love with now. And generally speaking, my grins are uplifting or uh, things that can help somebody or just things that made my heart warm between now and the last time. I had your ear and this one is kind of along those lines. It's more helpful. It's more um, talking about something I came across, which it usually is, Um, you know, with COVID it's, you know, I've been limited to my detach and chill getaways this year. Right. You know, I talked about that in my, in the opening about how I got away and I call it detach and chill. It's just the name I came up with is just, listen, it's just what I went with detaching and chilling. That's what I'm doing. But I'm used to traveling every quarter, right? It's just, I'm used to traveling. I'm used to going somewhere. I'm used to picking up and leaving this house and leaving this area and leaving the city and, and doing these things in a substantial way every quarter. And so this episode drops on September 11th, as I said before. My birthday is three and a half months away. Three and a half months away from the best and I said that loud as hell. And I'm sorry if I blew your eardrums out. But three and a half months from the best birthday ever. Best birthday ever. Smack in the middle between Christmas and New Year's. I coined it a week-long party. Some people do a whole month. To me, that's too much. You can't maintain it every day. You got your highs. You got your lows. You feel good. You feel bad. A week-long party is just nonstop. And it culminates with New Year's Eve. And then usually me struggling to do New Year's Day dinner every year because I'm so hungover from New Year's Eve. But best birthday ever. Best birthday ever. And it's the worst birthday ever. It's actually the worst birthday ever as well. Why? Because traveling during my birthday time is a pain in the ass. One, everything's overpriced because everything's priced for New Year's Eve. People book things up like there's no tomorrow, like this resort, this location will be gone if I don't book this time. And let me be frank for a second. Y'all kids, I don't vacation typically outside of adult only locations. Now, I do have some, I'll mention one, the Marriott Aruba Surf Club in Aruba. Been there probably nine, ten times. I don't even, I lost count after a while. But they do allow kids. But I have fun with those kids. Those kids love me. They have a, a lazy river that goes around the, you know, the resort. I shoot kids with water guns on my floaty. Have a great time. But let me put it like this. Some of y'all, and this is an ex- explicit show, so I'm going to say this. Some of y'all give zero fucks about parenting on vacation. You've made it to this week. You don't care what your kids do. As long as they're not bleeding and don't show up dead. You let your kids terrorize the staff. You let your kids do whatever the hell they want to do. 
All you care about is that you get them from food A to food B and into bed every day. Anything between that time, you don't care what they do. And I get it. I get it. I, I really do. I get it. You've been, <laughs> you've gone through temper tantrums and injuries and, and telling them what to do. And they don't do it. And this week, these five days, these three days, this, this seven day vacation you're on, you don't care what they do. They don't even have to shower. But y'all let them violate all types of rules, splash water, kick sand, throw stones, make messes at the tables, scream, shout, everything. You sitting there with your damn drink and your book, giving zero fucks. And so primarily, I don't go to non-adult resorts, adult-only resorts. For that reason. But again, like I said, there's been exceptions. There's a place in Puthacan I go to that allows adults to, and it's, it's cool. I've, I've had nightmares, though. I've had some nightmares. So this is why I make those choices to go to adult only resorts, but I'm determined to go somewhere away, away, like away, away from my birthday. I'm determined to do it on my DNC getaway. Wait, you know, D, that sounds kind of, but it's not what it sounds like. It's, you know, it's, I just acronym detach and chill, calm down people. But on my DNC getaway, um, I started thinking about where I wanted to go, you know, the options, I had given COVID, you know, COVID's the primary thing with traveling now. It's, it's the thing that's determining whether you can go somewhere, how you get there, what you got to do when you get there, things you need to do before you get there, how you prepare. Do you got to be tested? Do you have to have, you know, a document saying you're negative? Do you have to quarantine? You're there. There's so much stuff surrounding. And because of COVID, that's a hindrance to many places I want to go and get away with. Or get away to. And, you know, a lot of the, the package websites, the Expedia's, the Orbitz's, the, the Apple Vacations, those those guys, they're putting into place, you know, cancellation policies and they're providing a lot of COVID related information for travelers. And that's all fine and good. But I was laying there um, this past weekend and I had a whole bunch of places, a whole bunch of places pop in my head because that's what I do when I'm fighting the urge to do something, because when I, I really don't know how to relax, I don't really know how to chill. For me, chilling is finding something else to do. That's why I play beach volleyball so much on vacation. Cause I can't just sit there in a beach chair and tan. I can't just lay on a beach and tan. I can't just sit and read a book and listen to the birds chirp and the waves flow. It's just, you know, my chilling is finding something to do. That's non-work, non-business, non-fraternity, non family, you know, that's my detach and chill. Detached part is the technology part, of course, which I limit. I don't end because if you follow me at all, you know, I do my videos on vacation. So, you know, I don't totally detach from technology. So I can't even lie on that one. But, you know, I'm laying there and a, a whole bunch of locations popped up in my head and even more questions because as locations pop up, now I'm scouring Google. I'm looking at this place. Okay. What does this have? What I have to do to get here? Testing. And surprisingly, one thing I found is some places actually change their passport requirements. So a lot of places you travel, you have to travel with a passport that's not going to expire within the next six months. Some places, and I don't know, maybe somebody can comment or inbox me or something, changed it to a year. And it's directly related to COVID. They actually state that because of COVID, your passport has to now be valid for an entire year past you landing which I don't get the relationship to COVID and how that translates to expiration dates on passports. But if somebody can explain that one to me, feel free to drop a comment 
or inbox somewhere. But I'm looking at these two websites I came across and I want to share them with you. Um, the first is get your guide. Now, this is going to be a very long um, URL I'm about to give you, but if you go to getyourguide.com, you'll probably be able to find it. But the full address to their travel restrictions for coronavirus um, page is www.getyourguide.com slash magazine slash coronavirus dash travel dash restrictions. I know it's long. Go to getyourguide.com and find it from there. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. But, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about the site that I like is their COVID information is frequently updated for every country in the world. They also have state by state in the United States COVID information. So you can look at, do I need to quarantine when I get to Alabama? Do I have to, you know, have a positive or negative, not positive, obviously, but negative COVID test to enter Georgia? You can look at state by state information. The other thing that you can do uh, related to actually booking a trip and finding somewhere to go and things to do, you can put a location in a search bar and it will give you all types of information about that location. So you get prices for activities, which, you know, like tours and cruises and transfers and excursions. So it's like it's like a one stop shop to really find things to do at locations you're interested in. But it also has COVID information as well for every place in the world and state-by-state state information, which I actually like the state-by-state state part in case I decide to you know, go from state to state, I can look and see what the COVID requirements and restrictions are for that particular state. The second place, um, and this actually is a place that I'll use, I'm probably gonna use more frequently than the first, not that Get Your Guide is not good, it is good, but there are things about this other site that I'm about to give you that I like uh, just because it's probably the geek in me. So the second site is officeholidays.com. This is a much shorter <laughs> link that I'm going to give you. It's www.officeholidays.com slash coronavirus. Way easier, right? Or you can just go to officeholidays.com. Again, I'm sure you can find it from there. Cool thing about this site is that it has a clickable map for information on any country. Again, every country now does not have state by state. Uh, COVID information, that's probably the only thing I'm going to use Get Your Guide for is state-by-state state stuff. Office Holidays has a clickable map, also has a calendar showing holidays for every country. So if you want to go to, you know, Jamaica and you want to see when Carnival is or, you know, <laughs> we all want to go to Carnival in Jamaica, don't we? But something like that or Bastille Day somewhere or whatever holiday, you can see holidays that may be occurring when you're going to be traveling, you can select the year. They can, I think they even go out to 2022. So you can actually book ahead and say, oh, the week I'm there, it's going to be this holiday, which is kind of cool. But what I like best about this and why I'm probably going to use this site more so than the first one I gave you is each country's information that you click on. So I'm using Jamaica because I've been thinking about Jamaica and I was talking about Jamaica last weekend. Um, each country's information contains a link to their government or official travel website. So I don't have to go fishing for it. I don't have to go, okay, I'm thinking about Jamaica. Okay, so now I see the restrictions, but let me go look here. What's their, their government website or what's their travel website or what's how do I find out this information? It has a wealth of information and links that you can click on just from that country's uh, clickable link. So, you know, these, these two sites are a great resource for travel information, uh, both in the U.S. and abroad. Once again... The two sites are getyourguide.com 
office.com and officeholidays.com. Check those two sites out. I think if you're looking to travel, like I'm definitely looking to travel in the next couple months or even next year, um, there'll be great resources for you uh, to help you age you because you don't you don't want to be that horror story. I heard there was a horror story um, that I read in one of the the travel um, Facebook groups that I'm in, where a guy booked a trip for him and his wife, and he gets to the airport, and a lot of times at the airports in the U.S. before you can even board the plane, you have to provide negative, and I think it's PCR, or whatever the, the, the actual test is, different types of COVID tests, but it's that one is that three-letter one. You have to provide a negative, and I'm going to say PCR, it may be wrong, but you have to provide a negative PCR test before you can even board the plane. And so the guy had no idea because he hadn't, let's be frank, he didn't do the research. I mean, he the post that he put that was very long kind of blamed the package website he booked it through, but it's not their job to tell you to go do your research and see what's going on in a COVID world. I mean, come on. But some places you need to, before you board in the U.S., provide that negative test. Some places when you land, you need to provide that negative test. Some places when you land, you have to also take an additional test and pass that. And so, again, these two websites will help you identify a lot of the things you might come across if you're thinking about traveling in the U.S. and abroad because you don't want to be stuck in a situation where you're stuck somewhere because you don't have proof of a negative test and you can't fly back now because of U.S. restrictions. So again, it's not just about traveling abroad. It's also about coming back. Remember that when you book something. You may go to a place that has kind of light restrictions for you to land, but coming back in the U.S. because you went to that country, the restrictions may be tougher on you to come back. So just remember that stuff when you're planning a vacation. I hope to see you somewhere I go, <laughs> wherever I'm going, for my birthday. For now, that's what's in Dave's head. Until next time, stay happy and healthy. Like I always say, enjoy life because life should be fun. Thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>